Welcome to Gladiatrix. I am woman and hear me roar. I'm your host, Malini Sarma. Every week, I will be speaking with women from all over the world who will be sharing their journeys, their stories about overcoming their fears and achieving great things that they thought they never could. So if you don't want to miss a story, make sure you subscribe. Before we talk about today's show, I would like to say thank you to all my guests who have been featured on the Gladiatrix podcast to date. I have a dream. There are 193 countries in the United Nations, and I have a dream that I can host at least one woman from every country in the world on this podcast. That is 193 countries, 193 stories, on 193 shows. So if you know of somebody who should be featured on the show, please drop me a note. I would really appreciate it. In today's episode, we're speaking with Charlie Johnson Stover. Charlie is a non-binary Mexican-American former stockbroker, money coach, and a social impact MBA student at the Heller School. They help mainly LGBT and people of color invest, point hack, and build wealth. Listen to their journey as they started in Mexico, moved to the U.S., undocumented till the age of 14, and finally moved back to Mexico. This is their story. Hey, Charlie, thank you so much for joining my podcast today. I'm really excited for you know, the audience to listen to your story because I think a lot of people are going to learn a lot of stuff and take away a lot of things from, from um, this episode. Yeah, thank you for having me, Malini. I hope people learn at least something today. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sure they will. So uh, I'm really excited because you, you said you were born in Mexico, but you've lived in the U.S. Um, for pretty much, you know, your whole life. And, and now you're, you went back. You're currently back in Mexico. So tell me, tell me a little mm-hmm. bit about grow, you know, your experience growing up and family and siblings and what you want to do when you grew up. Yeah, so I was born in 1990 in Morelia, Michoacan, to a, a mixed class family. So my dad was from like middle class um, wealth, white Mexican family, because his dad was born in uh, in the States mm-hmm. and then went to fight in World War II and then ended up finding another uh, white person. Uh, she was from Holland, I think. And they just had a bunch of white babies. And so my dad is like a blue eyed white man, but Mexican citizen, not American oh, okay. um, at all. So I was born um, in Morelia where he grew up. And my mom is Mexican, but she's half German too. So her name is Blanca Ingeborg Stoever. Mm-hmm. So a lot of like whiteness going on all up in Mexico. There's a lot mm-hmm. of German immigrants. So whenever people would say, you don't look Mexican, I'm like, yeah, I, I do. When I go there, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm not the only white Mexican. Mexico. Wow. I, you know what? I didn't know that. I really yeah. didn't know that. So that's interesting. Yeah. It's like how a lot of like Europeans went to Argentina and mm-hmm. everything like that. So mm-hmm. Mexico too. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, we left uh, in 1994. I remember that was the year Lion King was playing in the movie theaters. So I was three years old. 
Mm-hmm. And my dad convinced my mom for us to move out there to just, you know, American dream, better life, more mm-hmm. money, opportunities, all of that. But we just overstayed our visas and my dad never found a way for us to become legal. And he was just waiting for a government amnesty uh, for the government to just forgive us. So mm-hmm. he had uh, money to buy a house and everything, but we still lived like we were poor people. It was just this weird mix of growing up poor yet still holding assets like a house and my mm-hmm. dad speculatively mm-hmm. buy land and things like that, but he wouldn't work. And mm-hmm. it was like the opposite. You go to Mexico and you send, or you leave Mexico and send money back home for us. It was the opposite. Like we left Mexico and my dad's family was sending money to him. Wow. So wow. it was just very strange. So obviously my relationship with money mm-hmm. was very screwed up growing right. up, but mm-hmm. growing up, we would speak Spanish in the house, but really not learn a lot about our culture because we moved mm-hmm. to Washington state in a mm-hmm. very small white conservative Christian town. I didn't meet a Muslim person or a Jewish person until I went to Wellesley mm-hmm. um, for undergrad. So mm-hmm. very sheltered. I think my dad just wanted us to grow up and be like white people to mm-hmm. not mix with other people. So in that sense, it was not the best place to grow up, but I feel like I definitely emerged out of that. And once I left and went to college, I haven't looked back. That's basically why I want to travel. Once I saw the world, I was like, nope, I'm not going back to the little town. Wow. Wow. So did your parents have asked or your dad, your mom, did they have aspirations of they what, what they wanted you to become? You know, because you were surrounded by like a, in a white neighborhood or whatever, you've got to become mm-hmm. like them. I mean, did they have like anything you know, mapped out for you that say that, okay, this is what we want you to do, or it was pretty much, you know, figure it out, just make sure that you make enough money or that kind of thing. How was it? Yeah, it was just very vague. Like, I felt like I could grow up to be whatever I could be. I was homeschooled as a kid, so I was very sheltered and socially awkward because mm-hmm. I was just me and my brother, who's years older than me, and like mm-hmm. our dog. And so mm-hmm. I didn't really have friends mm-hmm. growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, my mom was like, yeah, you can be whatever you want. As long as you go to college, just go to college. Cause that in their eyes was like the key. But my dad was like, mm, they don't need to go to college. Life will work out for them because he was used to having those easy wealth transfers of money to him. Right. And he magically thought that that would happen to us, even though he wasn't working and his savings were dwindling. So mm-hmm. it was just a very dreamy like state mm-hmm. he was in, which I try taking the good parts out of that, even though it was a really tough Mm -hmm. Um, childhood growing up that way away from all of my family and I didn't become documented until I was um, 14 when my mom remarried a Republican Mm -hmm. alcoholic Trump supporter but I still felt like he cared about me more than my biological dad did Uh so so when you went to um, you you did you know you achieve your mom's dream of you wanting to go to college, you know, making okay. sure that you went off to college. And so going to college, how did that change your outlook to life? So I just went to Wellesley because they offered me the most financial aid. I tried staying in state. Mm-hmm. Um, I did all those tours of the University of Washington and everything, but Wellesley mm-hmm. offered me much more aid. They paid for my flight mm-hmm. to go out there and take a tour for like the spring mm-hmm. and stay with students. And mm-hmm. I just loved how amazing it was to be it's a women's college Mm -hmm. um and so I just loved being around so many women who weren't afraid to speak up because in high school I was always the girl because back then of course I identified as a girl I didn't know what non-binary was Mm -hmm. or being trans even was so Mm -hmm. obviously I was like this is so cool women's empowerment Mm -hmm. high school I'd get bullied not bullied but just made fun of for always Mm -hmm. speaking up 
and being mm-hmm. excited to learn. But it was so cool in college to be around other women who were supporting each other mm-hmm. and and studying abroad and going on internships in Europe, places mm-hmm. I never ever thought I mm-hmm. be. So mm-hmm. and also, like I said, I met people of other religions because mm-hmm. in my town, religious diversity was what kind of Christian are you? Are you Mormon or Catholic or Presbyterian? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And then in college, it was so cool. Like my roommate was from India and mm-hmm. I remember me going and, and being like, oh yeah, I'm American. I'm going to help her navigate America and technology and all of these things. Mm-hmm. And then she ended up teaching me all these things. She said, Charlie, can I um, Skype? And I was like, what's Skype? <laughs> <laughs> wow. She taught me a lot. And then her friend is from Bangladesh. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know where Bangladesh was when I met her. She was wearing a hijab on the first day mm-hmm. there. And, mm-hmm. and she's like, I'm from Bangladesh. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Um, do you like chai tea lattes from Starbucks? <laughs> <laughs> that was all the Indian culture I was exposed to mm-hmm. in my town when we finally got a Starbucks. It was mm-hmm. a big deal. Wow. <laughs> Wow. So, I mean, college really opened up your entire, you know, your, your it opened up your whole world. Mm-hmm. So how you are currently, like you are um, doing, educating the community about finance and, you know, mm-hmm. you, you started your own business and everything. So how did, how did that even start? It just felt like something I needed to do that was, urgent because of COVID, but I'll take a step back is mm-hmm. Wellesley. I thought I just wanted to study to become a teacher because growing up teachers were the rich people in town. They had the two-story houses and they had retirement benefits mm-hmm. and all of these things. And mm-hmm. I was like, Ooh, being a teacher is a, a good job. Mm-hmm. And then I went to college and heard how people talked about teachers and realized, mm-hmm. Oh wait, teachers don't, they're underpaid. What? Mm-hmm. And they're stressed. Mm-hmm. Oh, well I'll do it anyway. So I did city year in San Antonio working in public, in a public high school there. Mm -hmm. And then I came back to Boston and taught in a charter school, then taught English in Nicaragua, but I was always teaching subjects I wasn't interested in. I love teaching Mm -hmm. and encouraging people to pursue their dreams through education because I was so lucky to get financial aid and become a U.S. citizen at the Mm -hmm. moment where I needed it Mm -hmm. to happen. Mm -hmm. Um, But I wasn't interested in in English itself or math or science. That was just what the need was. I felt like I got burnt out. And so I started uh, tour guiding and teaching people about areas. uh, Like I would go on cross-country trips, take people on trips from New York City to LA, Mm -hmm. interpreting for them. And these are mostly people from Europe and Australia Mm -hmm. who could afford to travel in the US and Mm -hmm. would still like go camping because it's Mm -hmm. extremely expensive to, Mm -hmm. to travel in the US. Right. Um, and then people kept asking me how I could afford to travel in the off season. I would, I just backpacked in Latin America for six months on my own completely. Mm-hmm. And my friends asked me, why haven't you run out of money yet? And mm-hmm. I said, because I budget and I'm investing my money as well too. And then I realized I should get paid to talk to people about this because I keep mm-hmm. giving people free money advice mm-hmm. and I like how they actually care. I don't have to convince them to care. Like I did about math or science, right? Everybody right, cares right. about money. Right. And right. But how did you, how did you even, when you were talking about, you know, budgeting, I mean, so for you to even start thinking about that, how did you come up with it? I mean, did you have to go and ask somebody how to do that? Or was it just like your self-preservation was like, you know what, I need to be able to do all these things and I don't want to have to ask anybody for money. So I'm just going to save all my stuff and I'm going to do it. Are you like a naturally, like, did you have to train yourself to do that? Or are you naturally like a saver? 
I just grew up that way with the scarcity mindset. It was never like life or death, but my mom always made us uh, squeeze the juice out of every penny. She would take me grocery shopping. So I would just observe her mm-hmm. shopping for items and always comparing the prices, like the the unit price of things, not just the price, but like for every ounce, <laughs> how much is that product? Mm-hmm. So I just thought it was intuitive. Like, why wouldn't you find the cheapest thing? Quality isn't as important. We would mm-hmm. go to like grocery outlet and mm-hmm. the Aldi type places instead mm-hmm. of Safeway, unless there was a big sale or yeah. something like that. So mm-hmm. I grew up with that scarcity mindset though, of there's not enough and just mm-hmm. translated that to traveling because that's something I found value in. Mm-hmm. But yeah, after college, i lost family support slowly over time. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, and I didn't want to depend on anybody else. And also I think in the back of my mind, I saw how much financial abuse was in my family. My dad controlled us all mm-hmm. through money and through mm-hmm. our legal status. So mm-hmm. my budgeting and, and, and fixation on money was a response to my childhood basically. And it still is. And now I feel like I'm transforming people's lives. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so now, so now you, um, when when you after you backpacked around you know Latin America for six months and you were successful you were successfully able to do that without going into debt or anything and people are asking you is that when you started um, or do you first say okay let me check it out and see if this is actually a viable business or did how did how did so if somebody else was like okay now I want to do what you, you know I want to do what they're doing mm-hmm. how how did it how did that all come about. Yeah. So when I was backpacking in Latin America, I I would check my retirement accounts and thought it was so cool, not just retirement, but my brokerage accounts that are taxable. And I thought it was so cool that I was making money for not doing anything, just Mm -hmm. passive source of income, which Mm -hmm. is how rich or middle class white people maintain Mm -hmm. and preserve and pass down their wealth in this country. Mm -hmm. And now I was starting to get a taste of that Mm -hmm. ease of preserving wealth and building wealth as opposed to being in debt and mm-hmm. feeling that sense of desperation that contributes to our classified and mm-hmm. it's a, like a lack of awareness and a lack of generational wealth. Well, so mm-hmm. I thanked a friend for helping me open a Roth IRA when I was 26 mm-hmm. and a brokerage account uh, mm-hmm. at Schwab, at Charles Schwab in DC when I had been living there because I just realized it was urgent because all these side hustles, I was working like dog sitting, blogging, going on bike tours. I was very underemployed. My degree didn't help me find a job in DC because everybody Mm -hmm. needed a master's. So I Mm -hmm. was like, well, I need to open my own retirement because my family doesn't support me now. And they're definitely not when I'm retiring. I need to look Mm -hmm. out for myself. Mm -hmm. And so I thanked her for doing that. And I started asking her, should I get an MBA? Because I feel like I want to help other people help me the way you did. And Mm -hmm. she said, no, just work for Schwab and be a financial advisor. It's okay. Mm-hmm. and train you to get your licenses and learn about stocks because I didn't know about stocks either. And now like mm-hmm. she's a CPA mm-hmm. um, or CFP, one of those acronyms. And so mm-hmm. I said, okay, cool. And so she helped me get a job working mm-hmm. at a call center in Indianapolis, Indiana, mm-hmm. which was horrible as a trans queer Latinx person living there. But I sucked it up for a year and learned so much, mm-hmm. which I implement in my money coaching and my workshops every day. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's how I established my business. Oh, that's pretty cool. So you were working for yourself. So were you doing it like, uh, you know, doing a side hustle, doing the money mind business while you were also working? Or did you, at what point did you just like, okay, I am not going to be doing that. And I'm going to focus totally on my business. 
Was that- oh, I was working with them for a year, just learning about stocks and trading. So I didn't have the confidence at all to start my own business. I mm-hmm. also have felt imposter syndrome because people would look at me like I didn't belong there as a trans person. I'd get stared at when I would use the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And people would just be like, where, who are you? Why are you here? Where'd you come from? Type. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not, mm-hmm. not outright, but you know, like, yeah, clearly you, the- you don't belong here. Right. Right. <laughs> Um, so uh, that definitely made me not confident enough to open my own business. But then once COVID was hitting and I had to go through my stockbroker training as the market was crashing, mm-hmm. I realized I'm still freaking out about the stock market, but in a good way, because stocks are cheap now and I can finally buy. So all of us were sitting in a room trying to console people that were freaking about out about the stock market crash when the rest of us had been waiting for this to happen for 10 years, because finally stocks were cheaper and mm-hmm. we had cash on the side. Mm-hmm. So I realized this is not ethical. I can't sleep at night knowing I'm perpetuating this problem. I feel like I know something everyone else needs to know. Mm-hmm. This is messed up. So I applied for my social impact NDA program and got accepted, got a full ride at Brandeis. And then mm-hmm. once I was leaving Schwab, I started just like putting out feelers and doing like credit card points, hacking, mm-hmm. money coaching one-on-one to my friends. And now it's grown into people that I don't know mm-hmm. one-on-one. That is awesome. So now you do, how long has your business been in play? Has it been like six months or more? About a year? Uh, Six months. Yeah. I left Indianapolis in August and I started my semester of grad school in August as well, but I was still just doing the money coaching on the side to see how it went. wasn't Mm -hmm. taking it too seriously. Mm -hmm. Um, But now I'm automating things and I'm taking that side hustle course with Janice that I met you in. Right, right. And I'm hiring Kat Del Carmen too to be my business coach. So I'm investing a lot in myself because is- I got a full ride to school. So I'm able to spend all this money on on myself. That is really awesome. So now are you uh, so are you doing your um grad school while you're doing your business or are you put your grad school on hold? Oh no, I'm doing both at the same time. Mm-hmm. I just had a two month long winter break. Mm-hmm. which was not a break at all. I was like, well, grad school kicked my butt the first semester and I was busy. So I'm going to use every day I have to build my business. I'm so mm-hmm. glad I automated a lot of things, started mm-hmm. my own Calendly mm-hmm. and signed up for that course we're in. Mm-hmm. And yeah, this week grad school just started with my business. And now mm-hmm. I'm so glad I started automating a lot of these things instead of having to just answer people mm-hmm. in my DMs about what I do. I can just send them a link to my website. Here's what I do and what I don't do. Nice. That's that's really cool. And you should be really proud of, you know, how far you've come with achieving your goals. So if if you had to tell others, you know, especially those who are marginalized and you want to follow their dreams, what advice would you give them? Just do it. People always praise white, rich men, self-starter entrepreneurs for being so brave, but Mm -hmm. they're not. They're the most privileged members of society. And Mm -hmm. a lot of times they're not exactly self-made. Even if you're born into a family that wasn't the richest, but had no debt, you're still privileged, Mm -hmm. myself included. Mm -hmm. I've benefited from wealth transfers of money I didn't necessarily earn Mm -hmm. and so have all these so-called successful people. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't realize that the reason they're successful is because of generational wealth being mm-hmm. passed down. It's not necessarily, oh, you have imposter syndrome because you personally need to work on this. Mm-hmm. No, it's intergenerational wealth. It's the wealth gap that's further exacerbating. We're seeing it with COVID. The government's not stepping in to help us. 
Mm-hmm. And yeah, just working in finances made me realize how lenient taxation laws are on the wealthy. That's why they invest so much money because taxation, mm-hmm. uh, the tax rules are different with mm-hmm. that versus with earned income. So mm-hmm. just do it anyway. See, I mean, when you, you actually, honestly, just like how you say, you know, starting with the course and everything, even I have learned so much about money. It's like, mm-hmm. I, I also did not realize that it was generational wealth that caused or that created, you know, people to have that kind of privilege. And the, in this economy, I think this country is also built for people who have generational wealth. It wasn't designed, mm-hmm. even though they say, you know, um, the American dream, that's, that's, it's, a, it's a misnomer when you think about it, right? Yeah, the people who signed the Declaration of Independence were all, and who could vote when this country was established, were only white, wealthy male landowners. They mm-hmm. had assets. If they mm-hmm. didn't, they weren't eligible to even participate in our mm-hmm. democracy. So that tells you all you need to know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And it's quite. A, it was quite an eye opener for me too. You know, I like just like you. I was like, okay, you know, if you work really hard, and then you can get there, and then you re- you see all the biases, and it's it's kind of uh, it's it's a real it's a big eye opener. I, I mm-hmm. you know I had no idea. So I, I'm. I, I'm learning too, just like yeah. just like you are. <laughs> <laughs> so looking back, you know, and knowing what you know now and how far you've come, what would you have told your younger self? Would you have changed um, anything? Oh yeah, I would have changed so much. I wouldn't have gone to college right away. I would have taken a gap year to just breathe after high school and figure out who I was and what I wanted instead of just being thrust into college. I'm just lucky I was thrust into such an amazing place, but not Mm -hmm. everybody is so lucky. And so many people go into debt because they're told that college is the solution to your problems. It'll be worth the thousands of dollars of debt we promise. And Mm -hmm. Hey, it's not always the case Mm -hmm. or yeah, I would have told myself if you want to make money, get vocational training in a specific skill that no one else has right now. I feel like my specific skill is trading stocks mm-hmm. and knowing about the state of our country, watching the news every day and interpreting that, mm-hmm. like how COVID's affected things like interest rates. Mm-hmm. So that's my technical skill that I've built up over time. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and just don't, I would have told myself, don't pressure yourself to do what everybody's going to tell you to do. Mm-hmm it's okay to, to take a gap year. Americans, gap years aren't a very normal thing at all in America. Maybe that's changing, but in Europe, it's normal to take a year off after high school and just travel and see the world and learn about other people and reflect on what you even want to do. And when you come back, you'll still get it together and go to college. College isn't going anywhere. Oh, okay. I, I didn't realize that. I thought yeah. it was, I've only heard a few people take a gap year. I haven't heard mm-hmm. that many people. I didn't realize in Europe it was uh, it was yeah. quite the normal thing. Mm-hmm. But wow. So any um, I- I- any last pieces or a piece of advice that you want to give anybody if they were listening to you and they're like, I want to do what she's doing. What would be the top three things that you would tell them? I want to do what they're doing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I would say just don't be afraid to invest in yourself. Mm -hmm. Like now that I've started doing money coaching, I've received so much positive energy from people Mm -hmm. who are paying me mostly women of color, black women in particular who believe in me and don't underestimate my value. Don't try to play down my prices. They just ask me how I charge. Let's go. Let's do this. 
So I put that energy back out there and pay other people to coach me because I also should believe in them too. I think I still got a lot of people DMing me saying that my prices are too high or right now is not a good time or that they want me to coach them, but they still don't sign up for a slot because I understand that level of apprehension. Coaching Mm -hmm. is traditionally something that like middle-class white people do and pursue and have the the side income to pay for these things. And it's just such a new thing, but I don't regret any amount of money that I've spent on myself in concrete ways. Like mm-hmm. I spent $1,500 um, over winter break for Janice's course and for a real estate investing course. Mm-hmm. I've definitely spent $1,500 on weed and alcohol in my life, if not even more. And that didn't, did not contribute at all to my personal growth. <laughs> if anything, it hindered it. Mm-hmm. So whenever you question the value of buying anything, is it an investment or is it just a purchase? And I think especially in American consumerist culture, mm-hmm. the big corporations want you to keep that sense of, oh, I just need to buy things to be happy. And I hope that's slowly changing. No, you need to buy experiences and things to invest in yourself in order to survive in this capitalistic society. And if you don't just save money and escape it like I did. Okay. I think that is very, I think that is very insightful because I don't think a lot of people realize that, um, you know, that you end up buying things that you, you think buying things are making good and make you happy, but they don't. Mm-hmm. So, no, thank you, Charlie. I really appreciate you taking the time uh, to talk about your journey and your experiences. And I am sure there are quite a few people listening who would definitely be inspired by your journey. So thank you. Thank you. And I'm inspired by your platform. I love what you're building too. Hosting badass people to talk about their lives. <laughs> Thank you, you. Keep it up. <laughs> Thank you. I really do appreciate the support. And, you know, I'm just starting out. And as I talk to more and more people, I realize that how important it is to have a platform like this. Mm-hmm. So, so thank you. Thank you for being on the show. And I really do appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. Lots of love. Hey, ladies. Wouldn't it be awesome if you were always surrounded by your friends that you could talk to about any topic under the sun, no judgment, and they always had your back to cheer you on? Well, that is what the Brown Woman Collective is all about. I'm looking for 10 founding members. If you're interested, send me a note. Join my email list. Starting soon. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to subscribe. And if you love the show, please leave a review. Just remember, You could be one story away from being inspired.